Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful. There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth generation family run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process to help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. Tired of waiting for ownership decisions to happen? Frustrated with promises broken? Enter Innovative Management Veterinary Solutions, or IVMS. IVMS's goal is to grow privately held, profitable, unique hospitals across Canada, allowing you, the veterinarian, to focus on medicine and not the practice nuances. They handle accounting, bookkeeping, marketing, advertising, human resources, and so much more. The plan is easy as one, two, three. First, you come work joining the leadership team for a year to learn the systems and processes, ensuring the fit is right for everyone. Second, you enter into a 50-50 partnership to launch your hospital. Again, you help drive where you go. Three, work together, launch, and scale your hospital. Questions? Head to the link in the show notes for more information, how to connect, and see if this is the right opportunity you've been waiting for. Check out Innovative Management Veterinary Solutions. Find out for yourself why my friends at Shepherd Veterinary Software are the fastest growing practice management software. Hint, they're doing something right. Founded by Dr. Cindy Barnes, Shepherd is an intuitive, easy to learn, streamlines practice management. Built for vets, by vets, it works for you and your team so you have more time to spend on what's most important, your patients. Shepherd automatically updates the medical records, adds services to the invoice, generates discharge instructions, and so much more. Bring home more stories and less stress. Check them out at shepherd.vet. Again, that's shepherd.vet. Hey, drama. Yes, we do too. That's why it doesn't exist here. It's the only core value that is non-negotiable. Culture is key at Point Grey and Fraser View Veterinary Hospital located in Vancouver, British Columbia, an outdoors person's paradise. Privately owned, fear-free certified practice, the only fear-free practice in Vancouver. No catches, no hidden terms, no negative accrual, no non-compete, and fully transparent. So what do we expect? Sense of humor? We love to laugh, tell jokes, and banter. Be adaptable? Strong team-oriented personality drive and willingness to excel. What should you expect? you love snacks? Who doesn't? We have a staff room filled with a variety of snacks. We've got you covered. How about coffee or tea? We have you covered. Enjoy a two-month schedule made in advance so you can actually plan your life. No nights or Sundays guaranteed. Salary up to $170,000, including 20 to 25% commission. Visa sponsorship considered, as well as opportunities for ownership. So apply today for Point Grey and Fraser View Veterinary Hospital. Link in the show notes. All right. Today's show is going to be building on some topics we've talked about in the past when it comes to investing. Now, one of the highest downloaded episodes of last year was episode 141, 15 Things to Do in a Recession, which then friend of the podcast, Dr. Phil Zeltzman, wrote a piece for the Veterinary Financial Summit on his take, and that was one of their most consumed pieces. So I know the interest is there on the topic. And one 
to reflect on 2023, peer into 2023, share some big picture thoughts and then more micro, but also things that I've seen. So this can be a little bit technical. I'm going to share a lot of different tweets that have some charts. And this is where ideally a podcast has a video format, right? Um, not quite there, still working on some things I would like to. It just adds a lot of extra editing and just things that I need to do and it makes it tricky. So I would love to do it, but I want to also address you know, predictions and stuff that I did last year, which I think I kind of joked at the end of 21 going into 22, like, hey, here's my predictions. One of those, right, was a $200,000 Bitcoin. LOL, right? So that's one of the things from a price action that did not work. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I think Bitcoin has failed or that it's dead. And you hear lots of those stories when you see the price corrections that have happened. This has happened before. By the way, the TLDR, the too long didn't read on Bitcoin is absolutely all the reasons to own it still remain unchanged. You should save into it as an asset in 2023. And I think you can think of it as a long-term, super attractive asset that my thoughts on it have been unchanged. And I know people that have owned Bitcoin or looked into it due to my, I would say, passion around the topic, the conviction hasn't left. So I know it can be hard to stomach that volatility, but what I would tell you is it is part of the plan. It's not the plan, right? So continue to save into it, take self-custody. That's one thing I think through all the garbage that happened with Voyager and BlockFi and FTX that really, really solidified that it's a special, unique asset that you can actually hold yourself and not trust any third party. Done an episode on it. You need to do that. So if you own Bitcoin in any size, take self-custody. Reach out if you don't know and let me know. That is one thing that I'm thinking of wanting to do. If you really need your handheld, there are options out there that I can point you in the right direction or help for that as well. So got that out of the way. We'll talk a little bit more Bitcoin later on, but this is not a Bitcoin show. So I want to take some of the year-end data, big picture stuff, often called in the financial jargony world, macro, right? This macro picture. And then move lower and lower. I want to touch on housing as well, because I know a lot of our veterinary clients, that has been a huge topic and just clients in general. Housing has been the most difficult thing. So first to explain that for most traditional market participants that only allocate to stocks and bonds, 2022 was extremely painful. It's actually the worst year since 1871 for total nominal returns for U.S. stocks and bonds. There's a really good chart in the show notes you should check out. There were only two other years that negative returns for both stocks and bonds, and that's 1969 and 1931. You get a prize if you guess those two dates or years. So, uh, you know, pat yourself on the back. 2022 was the largest of the losses between the two. And I've discussed prior, you should be looking elsewhere to other assets to diversify And I've used the analogy many times, and I know I've kind of beaten this to death, but the idea of investing in cooking, you have these different ingredients. Not all ingredients are going to work well on a standalone basis, but it's the blend that makes it happen. Investing similar. Please go beyond stocks and bonds in 2023. I've highlighted other areas to check out via trend following farmland commodities and managed futures in previous podcasts. I will share those links to those episodes in the show notes. Listen to it. Go through it. Again, it's your money. You need to allocate what makes sense and how you need access to funds. And I'm not saying that you need to get completely rid of stocks and bonds. That's not what I'm allocating for. We're going to go into more depth into both of those topics, but from a big picture level, do yourself a favor and try to allocate away from those. The reason I focus on stocks and bonds so much is for most of you in your retirement accounts, that's all you can own. It's all you can own. So what worked in 2022? Managed futures. So the idea of uh, kind of trend and managed futures worked well. And so the Barclays commodity trading advisors index 
was up 7% for 2022. Now, an individual manager that I follow was up 60% for 2022. So there's big dispersion between the managers that track, but overall the strategy itself, even in plain vanilla strategy worked really well. So the idea of managed futures is big trends. So it was able to make big money on these big moves and trends in 2022. Gold, boring, but beautiful. I think I've talked about it before. You know, this barbarous relic, it's basically flat, but it was slightly positive for the year. Cash, you didn't go in reverse. It actually worked really, really well last year. And farmland, because it's not marked daily with prices, but the income and the appreciation were still impressive. And a company that I've talked about before in the podcast, Acre Trader, they had a couple of exits in some of the farms that they owned. And the returns on those were really, really strong. Now, you got to look at the broad spectrum of deals across the, the industry, but farmland prices have held up really well. Cash rents are up because, again, commodities are up. So you're seeing farmers that have more. And so typically when you see that, cash rent is going to go up as well. There are some flex deals and other things, but that's getting way into the weeds and nuance on cash rent that we don't need to get into in this podcast. But farmland is still very, very attractive. I like that as an asset class. So again, an interesting tidbit on like what the heck actually happened in 2022? Like why was it bad? I'll explain this like I'm five, right? So give me the Michael Scott version. So the short version, the Michael Scott version is Federal Reserve, the group that, of suits that sets monetary policy, hiked interest rates at a breakneck pace, fastest in history. And that was in part to squash inflation because that was what they were told. And they wanted to help slow the economy. And they've talked about it. They want people unemployed. They want to slow the economy. They want you to lose your job. I mean, that seems like hyperbole, but it's true. That is exactly the words that have come out of their mouths. So the risk assets across the board were battered and bruised. And rates on the federal funds went from 0.08, so basically nothing, zero interest rates were where we were at, to 4.25 in less than a year. That is extremely hard to digest. Extremely hard to digest. So the stock market, the bond market, the real estate market, all these things, they need like six bottles of Tums to deal with this. That is an extremely aggressive thing to happen in a 12-month period. And a topic that I've talked about at length in previous episodes, and one of the kind of reasons that I've talked about, hey, Bitcoin makes sense for all these different reasons, is the M2 money supply. So for the first time since 1959, which is wild, there was a reduction. Now let's not jump them down too much, right? So the money supply actually shrank, but it was shrank by three quarters of a percent. Note in 2022, or sorry, 2020. So 2022, it, it decreased by three quarters of a percent. In 2020, we increased it by 25% though. And we increased it by 12% in 2021. So this is akin to using bubble gum to plug the hole that is the Hoover Dam. So it was a reduction. So celebrate, right? Give yourself the golf clap, but uh, really didn't do too much to actually change the trajectory of this massive amount of monetary stimulus that has happened. And what happens when we create more units that creates inflation? That is the definition of inflation is increasing the units of money in circulation. But to their credit, they did not increase the money supply. What about inflation? Again, one of the topics that I talked about lots and lots and lots. It really isn't my favorite topic, but I know I keep bringing it up because it is just really important. And I think most people just fail to understand what inflation is. And so I gave you that definition. It's the increase in the monetary units in circulation. Inflation, though, when you hear about it in the news is usually referenced by what's called CPI or the Consumer Price Index. So inflation is coming down from its peak at 9.1, according to CPI, which CPI is a broken metric, but that's what they share. So 9.1 in June 2022. We haven't seen December's numbers yet but it's estimated to be 7.3. It was 7.1 in November of 2022. So let me remind everyone that inflation is a stair and you're always going to take a step up. So 
it's always compounding. And that's why inflation is so insidious in nature. So why does this matter to you? So why does this matter? Like, why is Isaiah talking about this? Why am I listening to this? Well, if you're looking to finance a home purchase, practice expansion, buy a car, that's why those rates have changed. The same goes for countless businesses that are fueled by cheap debt. Now they have to refinance debt at a higher rate. And for most, it's almost double. Same like for a mortgage, you went from you know 3% to seven, it's double, right? It's really expensive for those payments. And all of a sudden the house that you thought you could afford, you can't afford anymore. The biggest area of distressed debt per a great Bloomberg chart in the show notes, real estate. So real estate, most of it has recovered from the COVID crash in 2020, but the one that hasn't is office REITs. So the work from home change is continuing to challenge those operators. There's a lot of debt in that space, a lot of money that's been borrowed for commercial real estate. And most of those deals are usually 70, 80% of the value of property when they purchase it because they use leverage to generate higher returns. So there's trouble brewing in real estate. Big private equity backed firm Blackstone just gated or basically paused redemptions on its big flagship BREIT fund. Side note, that's funny there. When I used to work at the big firm I used to work at, and that was a big seller that was pushed a lot. Competitor Starwood did the same thing in their flagship fund. Real estate is wonderful until it, you need liquidity. And then all of a sudden people say, nope, you can't get to it. So I think that's one thing where actual ownership of your own real estate is a big difference versus the funds and things that you put it in. So for folks telling you that they just need to basically be patient and right now your money is their money and they're not going to let you take it back. So something to keep an eye on is that the biggest reason that, again, this still matters is the U.S. is a heavily indebted nation as a country, but so are lots of other nations. Far too many talking heads will tell you that the debt doesn't matter. We are the global reserve currency. We cannot default or go bankrupt. I think that's dangerous hubris to have. I'm not saying that that's happening in 2023 or anytime soon. There is exactly a 0% success rate of any empire or nation state lasting and being the top dog forever. In episode 141, I talked about a recession. Luke Groman, one of my personal favorites for big picture thinking, put a great stat the other day. The US has never entered a recession with debt to GDP at 125%. So debt being what we owe, GDP is what we make and a deficit to GDP at 7% in at least 85 years. So what we're going into, so this recession that we're going into or have been in, we've never seen the levels of debt that we have. And so that is going to be really, really difficult. The analogy I've used for a long time is we're a family that has maxed all their credit cards and we're seeing our wages garnished for back taxes. That's not long-term sustainable. Our payments on our debt alone will soon be higher than the spending on our military. And the world is going to start asking, hey, these dollars, these paper promises that aren't backed by anything, we don't want to sell our actual real goods for this stuff anymore. Like we want something else. And that's a really dangerous spot to be in. Our entitlement spending on human health and services, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, military spending, all greater than our tax receipts. Oh, by the way, in 2021, it was the highest year in the history of all tax receipts in this country. And we still spent more than what we brought in all-time high in tax receipts. So this would be like your veterinary hospital, all-time high revenue, and you still spent more on had more expenses. It's like, it doesn't get much better than that. And guess what? There was no gains in the investment markets hardly in 2022. So capital gains is a big chunk of that revenue and that's down and it will be down in 2023. There's a great chart that Lynn Alden has shared, the broad stock market and tax receipts in the US. They track really, really close. So when the stock market goes down, tax receipts go down. And that's where we're at right now. So a down year for stocks and bonds equals not a great year for the U.S. government from a tax perspective. So that debt hole only gets bigger. So I hope that helps explain why this all matters. The things that you want and that you're used to financing just doubled in price. The government itself is in a point of 
well past finding a balanced budget. The trillion dollar question is how does this end? That I can speculate on, but if you listen to my predictions for 2022, the likelihood that I know exactly how it is is probably low. It's all probabilities, and the probabilities are that the government cannot and will not stop printing new dollars to finance operations, which is inflationary, and pushes the values of goods and services higher. You want to own assets, and you want hard assets. I have pounded the table on this. I will continue to pound the table on this. You want to own hard assets. A great example of an asset that you cannot print is oil. The U.S. has had a Strategic Petroleum Reserve, or SPR, for emergencies and wartimes. We've had this for a long time. We store it in caves, basically in Louisiana and Texas. Apparently, inflation and midterms are justifiable to tap those. So our SPR, so Strategic Petroleum Reserve, is at a 19-day supply. It's the lowest since the early 1980s. And you know what the government just did two weeks ago? They went to try to replenish some, but they didn't buy any because they said the price was too high. Price was too high? The price is the price. We've artificially suppressed the price of oil and gas in the United States. And you know what you pay at the pump, that might change again soon. I know I like paying $2.99 here in Indiana much better than $5.25 like it was, but that might not stick around as long. And again, that is inflationary. So let's talk housing. Housing is working through a lot in digesting the massive increase in interest rates, causing homeownership to be out of the reach of most or drastically cutting what's feasible payment-wise. Let's be realistic. Most people are shopping based on monthly mortgages, not top-line prices. And that mortgage payment has gone up well over 100% in 12 months. We've seen the, the fastest cumulative change in existing single-family homes during a Federal Reserve hiking cycle. Again, why it impacts you. And so home sales are falling off a cliff. A recent Bloomberg chart in a report showed that pending home sales collapsed 38.6% year over year, the largest annual drop ever. So everyone has hit the brakes. Yet, if you go back to 2021, it was the highest reading on record. So the percent change is wild. It is a huge snap. That rubber band went all the way one way and a snap back the other way. So if you're a home buyer and looking to buy, please, please, please do yourself a favor. Be patient. Let some things work out. Let things work through the system. It will be good opportunities for you on the other side of this, but just continue to wait. Do not jump into something that puts some undue stress on yourself. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. All right, inflation. I know I've kind of talked about it already a little bit, so I have to find it. It's definitely not my favorite topic like I joked about, but I talk about it a lot because it needs to be talked about. And the idea is that target inflation from the Federal Reserve is 2%. That means every year things are getting more expensive, but basically 2%. Well, now they're starting to move and revise that to maybe three or four. Does anyone see an issue there? Doubling the rate of inflation. That makes things a lot harder when you look at decades. And so if you think it's been hard to keep up and you feel like you've been on a hamster wheel just getting the things and living the lifestyle that you want, it's not going to be easier. And so Bill Ackman, who's a famous investor that I don't really care for, but I like this quote and I think it's worthwhile reading to you. I don't think the Fed can get inflation back to 2% without a deep recession. Even if it gets back to 2%, it won't remain stable there for the long term. Accepting three plus inflation is a better strategy for a strong economy and job growth. The last piece, I totally disagree. We do not need inflation for a strong economy or job growth. But what he's doing is he is reframing where inflation needs to be. So 
what you'll see is a lot of times people that will get on the news cycles, they're going to put these people in a position of telling the audience what they actually want to do. So they're kind of just priming the pump to let people know, hey, this is what we think they want to, we want to do. This is the changes we want to make. So we need to, to up inflation a little bit here. So Bill, will you go out and talk about it? And then the Dallas Fed, they send out surveys and different people can respond to them. There was a survey respondent that said, never doubt the ability of the Federal Reserve to crush the economy when they intervene to stop inflation. And that is exactly what they've been doing. There's a lot of talk we will move into a recession and see a big deflationary period. And there are really smart people on both sides of this argument. I would rather not guess. I've learned my lesson again in 2022 with predictions, right? And be flexible to react come either scenario. I tend to think we see higher structural inflation as energy is something that you cannot print more of and is underproduced and we really need it. See the SPR comment that I made earlier. Europe is a mess and globalization of the supply chain is still broken. And as we start to reshore things, that really, really starts to add inflationary pressure if we're going to make that stuff in the United States. But the one indicator that flies in the face of all this is the inverted yield curve. I'll post a great chart. You should look at this when you get a chance. But if you loan money to me for two years or 10 years, you'd expect to pay more if you're going to give it to me for 10 years than if you give it to me for two years. When that flips, that's usually a bad sign and that signals a recession. It's been right six out of the last eight times. And that's what an inverted yield curve is when the two-year note pays more than a 10-year bond. So we are at a heavily inverted yield curve at the moment, which would signal a recession and likely deflation as companies lay off workers and the US consumer, which is the growth engine of the economy, cannot spend like they have in the past. And this creates a vicious cycle that all of a sudden you see a big slowdown. But guess what? How does this likely finish? Where does it go from there if we do see this big deflation? If you guessed stimulus and easy money, aka quantitative easing, you've won a prize because that's what happens is you basically have to revive the economy again. So then it's pumping the engine with more money to get it moving again. And so it's this vicious cycle that is always this overcorrection, overcorrection, overcorrection either way. So you right now it is crush inflation, crush the economy. Oh, economy's bad, stimulate, stimulate, stimulate. And then you get overabundance, overexuberance, and then you crush, crush, crush. It's so silly the way that this all works. But again, the question is, will we see this big deflationary event? And then will inflation actually come down or does it happen simultaneously? We live in a credit-based system, which means debt. For the system to run and operate, it needs ever-expanding debt to function. How dumb is that first and foremost? We have to continue to expand debt to make it run. Second, where we are today, they are trying to constrict that long enough to re-ease without a major, you know, 1920s style depression. It's such a mess. Somewhere in here is where I'd say Bitcoin fixes this. And normally I would, and it does, but I want to reference a wonderful piece in the show notes that I'll link to. And I also publish this on LinkedIn, but it's called Bitcoin is not a hedge by Parker Lewis. And there's a great quote in this piece. It says, Bitcoin is not a hedge against inflation. It's the permanent solution to inflation. And those are two very different things. Bitcoin might be volatile, but over the long horizon, it is not a risk. We don't need inflation or an increasing money supply for a healthy, stable, brisk economy. The term golden age of the world happened under a gold-based system, not one with more IOUs than money. I think that is something that is really interesting to think about. So with that, I want to kind of move into bonds because I talked about it earlier and I said I would address some of the things that I'd brought up with bonds. So let's talk about bonds. Almost all of you, if all of you, probably own bonds. It's an asset class that's estimated to be somewhere between 125 and 130 trillion. 
It is larger than the stock market. So the bond market is, is significantly bigger. And global bonds had their worst year ever on history. Brace yourself for some fun stats. Global bonds worst on record since the index began um, calculating in 1990. The worst return for the safest, air quotes, and best debt in the world, U.S. Treasuries, in more than 50 years. The U.S. Treasury aggregate total return was negative 17.4%. Things could get worse if we've just structurally moved into an interest rate increasing environment versus the past 40 years of falling interest rates. Even just a steadily upward gradual increase will gravely damage bond returns, as these returns are all math. The duration or the term or of length of ownership of a bond, 5, 10, 20 years, is impacted by rising interest rates where the longer duration, the 20-year, would be impacted more the five-year. If interest rates go up, bond prices fall. And if they go down, prices go up. So back to our inverted yield curve discussion, people are betting on rates falling when they buy a 10-year bond paying them less than a two-year bond because they think, hey, I'm going to lock in this rate that's going to be higher than where it'll be in the future because they're going to have to cut interest rates. And the reason they do this is because historically, when recession comes, rate cuts have been the cure. That's the antidote. What happens when that white knight doesn't arrive? That would be really painful for a lot of folks. Well, since 2020, we've seen a rising interest rate environment and it's been at a pretty rapid pace. But did you know that 20 year long dated treasury bond has been flat for 10 years after its dreadful return in 2022 while experiencing a 40% drawdown? That doesn't sound very safe to me. The aggregate bond index, so a blend of government and business debt is a similar story. The last 10 years, you made a compounding annual growth rate of 1% with a drawdown a max pain of negative 17.14. Bonds are where capital will go to die moving forward. Cannot beat this drum loud enough. You might be able to trade bonds during a period of time and make money. And I'm not going to argue with that. But most investors are buy and hold folks where they're going to say, I'm going to own some stocks, I'm going to own some bonds. But a real return, post-inflation taxes, fees, think purchasing power, will be negative over the next decade because math. The yields are not enough to warrant ownership are significantly less than inflation, and they have shown that they're starting to become much more correlated with stocks if we're in a rising inflation and especially if we're in a rising interest rate environment. I'd encourage you, if given the choice between stocks and bonds in your 401k, and you have the choice without any other options, and there's nothing else you can do, you can't have commodities, can't do anything else, the bonds are not going to help you much. And I know that kind of seems like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place because trust me, stocks are not riskless either. But bonds are really going to struggle. And I think we're starting to see that. So since the start of 2020, so we kind of see these you know, structural changes, bonds have lost money. So they have not made money for investors. And like I said, past decade, they've been flat. So stocks, what have I told you for the last 15 years? If you strip out US stocks, the world XUS has not had a positive return. Stocks don't always go up. So if you take away the US stock market and just own Everything outside the United States, it's been a negative real return for 15 years and a negative nominal return. You haven't made any money. Your statement, you open it up year after year after year, and maybe you make money in one year. But if you look at it cumulatively over 15 years, you made no money. All the returns have been US centric thanks to easy money, so quantitative easing, and the Federal Reserve basically backstopping any market turmoil. Again, hey, bad things happen. Here's easy money. We will fix it. And it's a wild chart that you need to see. It's also linked in the show notes. So, what do you do? I'd encourage you to get out of the S&P 500, which is dominated by technology, and is facing some serious hurdles, and look at energy, which has been crushed for several years while the rest of the U.S. ran wild. Now, it did return 60% last year. It's still cheap, and the world still needs energy in the worst way 
that it can structurally. The idea of deglobalization and reshoring is inflationary. If we're going to rebuild America manufacturing, materials and commodities are likely not going to be a bad place either to own. Again, all these ideas are going to get beat up if we go into this recessionary spiral and everything just grinds to a halt. So keep that in mind. And that goes for all stocks. The last thing is wild is the S&P 500 has not had two losing years since 2001 and 2002. So those were two back-to-back years that lost, which is wild to think about because the great financial crisis was so bad. But the bulk of the losses were in 2008 and early 2009, where it was able to recover and finish positive up for 2009. This is something to keep an eye on as well. If you see multiple down years, people all of a sudden might not love stocks so much and say, hey, stocks always go up, right? So what about Bitcoin and crypto? I say crypto, but if you listen to episode 135, which was Bitcoin, not crypto, you know the focus is on Bitcoin. I do want to address a couple things though. Ethereum moved to proof of stake and is now captured. When I say captured, it's basically controlled by four entities. I'm not going to get into all the nuance here, but it moved from something called proof of work, where you actually have to expend real world energy to something called proof of stake. Proof of stake just means I control more if I hold more ETH than you do. So if I have 100 and you say, so if I have 100 and you have 10, my say wins. Today, four entities that provide yield for staking ETH hold almost 60% of the supply. Lido, Coinbase, Kraken, and Binance. Lido alone is 30%. If you hold ETH, it's not decentralized at all. That has failed. Now, can the US dollar value go up? Sure, but you cannot call ETH decentralized. That ship has sailed. Bitcoin, I've told the why here more times than I can count. It's an asset you can control. cannot be created by anyone else. It's a hard cap, 21 million. It is decentralized and it is censorship resistant. It allows you for the first time in our lifetimes to truly save in a scarce asset that is going through the monetization process to become the world's global reserve asset replacing the dollar. That takes time. Jesse Myers, aka Croesus on Twitter said it best. Holding Bitcoin means getting rich while being in pain 90% of the time. I think this perfectly describes the journey. You have to be comfortable with the ride. It's an adventure, but saving consistently over time will help protect your wealth. Also, the demand in building in the space is absolutely bonkers. I wish I could spend a whole podcast just telling you all the cool things that are out there, and maybe I will. And I'm going to try to bring on some folks that I think are applicable, for, especially for practice owners, that could be beneficial in anyone, right? Just the way to think through how to own Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, you know, charge, and have your business run on Bitcoin more and more. So for those that are interested, there's going to be more content there. But a great stat to share is the value in Bitcoin. So at Coinmetrics estimates by removing some internal changes and, and updates at 8.2 trillion was transferred via the Bitcoin blockchain in 2022, averaging 260,000 per second. Bitcoin will be base layer money, and that's not changing, even if the US price does, right? So the price has gone from 69,000 down to about 17,000 as I'm recording this. I'm not calling for uh, $200,000 Bitcoin, but my longer term prediction is we'll see seven figure Bitcoin by the end of the decade. So I would say prepare accordingly from that standpoint. Again, my advice has always been buy a lump sum and save into it. Don't do something where you're borrowing money, you're putting yourself on leverage to make something happen. I think that is where you end up in a sad, sad space. So to recap everything, what I would tell you is I think the name of the game in 2023 is going to be survive. The reason I say survive is it's not going to be a year where you're going to feel really great about investing, the world, all these different things. But there are a handful of things that you can control, right? You can control what you're doing and learning from a CE perspective. You can figure out, hey, if I want to be a practice owner, how can I identify opportunities? Because I think there will be opportunities to form partnerships or do joint ventures or buy out a 
practice with someone that's older that just doesn't want to do it anymore because they're just tired. Those are things that you control. You can control saving and you can control putting some funds in various different things outside of just stocks and bonds. And so if you have, hey, the majority of my assets are in my 401k and it's all stock or bond related, go start allocating something outside of it that will complement it. And I think that's the best advice that I can give you. I hope you will check out some of the links in the show notes because a lot of those charts are super, super impactful. There's so many more that I've been kind of accumulating, reviewing, chatting through that helped drive some of this conversation. And then I want to hear questions. So if you listen to this and you're like, holy cow, that's a lot of stuff. I have a bunch of questions. Please join the Facebook group, write in those questions, and I will do my best to answer them. The goal is that I want it to be helpful. And so if this is something that you found helpful, let me know. If it's something you didn't like, let me know that as well. Thank you so much. And uh, until next time. All right. So there are a lot of new job postings. I'm going to read through these again. Please let me know if you reach out, connect with anyone, and this becomes a full-time or part-time opportunity for anybody. So the first one is a Central Indiana private practice equine or companion health practitioner, Janison Veterinary Clinic. So JVC is a six-doctor, team-oriented, AHA-accredited hospital with a focus on progressive veterinary medicine, quality patient care, and excellent client relations. Four-day work week with rotating Saturdays, dedicated assistant or licensed veterinary technician, compensation is a base and bonus structure. Lots of benefits, too many for me to list. Bayside Hospital for Animals, great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida, minutes away from the beach. Who doesn't love that? No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. Currently a two and a half doctor, non-corporate, small animal practice, uh, lots of growth in that area. Associate position, happy to offer mentorship for new grads, pro-sal with lots of benefits, too many for me to list. Newport Veterinary Hospital, Newport, Vermont, growing, thriving, rural, small animal practice with a touch of daytime urgent care on the Vermont-Quebec border, seeking the right veterinarian, enjoy the team, full-time preferred, but part-time considered as well, privately owned, value the staff and doctors equally with clients and patients, core values are integrity, motivation, empowerment, cleanliness, education, and compassion. If you love the outdoors, Vermont's hard to beat, list a ton of stuff for you to do there, and on compensation. Basically, it's bottom line. You can write your own ticket within the boundaries of production. The goal is the forward-thinking owner is reasonable, would love to chat and build something that fits for you. And so there are open discussions there on that front. Associate veterinarian, part-time or full-time, Fulton County Veterinary Clinic in Indiana. Are you looking for an oasis in the chaos? Do you want to be valued for your individuality and ingenuity? They offer and strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care, utilize support staff effectively so that the doctor is available to do more medicine and less time doing paperwork. No emergency on call, no after hours, no weekend work will ever be required. Um, flexible scheduling, competitive salary between 100 and 150,000. Signing bonus benefits, uh, too many to include, but one interesting one there as well is a mental health sabbatical. So those are all the offerings. I'm sure there will be more at some point. I'm going to have to say I can't read all of them, but uh, if you have one, keep them coming. And I hope that is helpful. 